Okay, so as many of you know, uh, today um, we are gathered like this. Uh, we've been gathering in small little groups, a small group here and then a couple of small groups in backyards, you know, uh, Whitby and so on. Um, and because we've got Lawrence and Liz out with us, we just felt like it's the right thing to do to have a, um, a combined service in a sense, you know. Um, and uh, for everybody to get to see them and of course to experience a meal together. And so uh, if you're a guest with us, or you haven't been around, you've forgotten. Uh, Lawrence and Liz, uh, they were on our leadership team here. Lawrence was an elder with us. Uh, and then um, I think uh, just over a year ago, certainly September sometime, we had a, a gathering like this somewhere else where we sent them off. We, just, we were on meeting online, you know, it was locked down. And uh, the restrictions opened slightly, which gave us uh, an ability to come together, at least to have a bit of a send-off prayer party for them, which we did. Um, and I can't believe it's been, you know, a year later. And so Lawrence and Liz is, is back in, in the city just for a little while. Um, they're with us this week speaking, just giving a bit of report back. I've asked them to share with us, uh, you know, how the last year has been, what God has done in them, and then also just a little bit of what they're looking forward to. And then we're going to take up an offering or at least ask you to consider giving towards this mission, which, uh, and, and we'll collect it all together and give it to them next week before we send them back home, which is now Quinell. Home used to be Ajax, you know. Um, but it's just an amazing story of, uh, of multiplication uh, in, in our own church. And, uh, you know, they'll tell you, of course, what God is doing in and through them in Cornell. Um, but uh, I'm so, so, so thrilled that they are here with us. You know, it seems like every time Lawrence and Liz comes out, uh, we have an in-person gathering. So I don't know if we should send them back. I don't know. You know, uh, they're starting a bit of a trend here. But Lawrence and Liz, won't you make your way up here, guys? Um, and uh, let's give them a round of applause. Mike each I'll give you this one. Courtney, you want to give this a wipe down? Where is she? She had to step away. If I wipe it over here, would it be bad? <laughs> of course it will be bad. There we go. You guys still have a sense of humor. I like it. Hang 10. So thanks, City Gates. Thanks to Vic and Ton and the elders. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I'm Lawrence. This is Liz. Um, we we left a year ago um, to go out to Quinell. It's my hometown. Uh, Liz has never lived out of the GTA, um, and so it's been amazing since we've been out there. I was gonna start with a joke. Um, so, do you know how to plant a church in the middle of a pandemic? Good, neither do we, um, which is true, you know. Uh, so without a pandemic, do you know how to plant a church? No, neither do we. So, um, you know, it's great. Um, the whole thing about going out there was just in obedience to God. Um, I had no, we had no desire, no dream. I, you know, some, I said this, some people have this view, I want to be a church planter, I want to be a church leader, and God's, uh, you know, uh, Paul says in Timothy that it's, it's a good ambition uh, to be wanting to be a leader, but that was never me. I never, I thought I was going to retire in Picton, uh, about age 65, 
and just be a, an elder or something in a church and just serve there and just live out my days, you know, at wineries and cheeseries or something. But, um, you know, God had different ideas. And so it took us a while to really go, okay, we'll go. Uh, as you guys know from the stories, I was ahead of Liz on that one. Um, she wasn't, you know, that thrilled about the idea of moving to Cornell. But thankfully, um, she loves it. She absolutely loves it. Uh, so let me just, you know, three sections, summarizing the year, um, and then what is God doing, and then a bit of what we're, you know, what's happening for the future. I don't know. I, I'll start, and you can just jump in when you want, and then except for that part. Okay, so we've got a house, uh, we got a car, we have some furniture. Um, you know, it's funny, Costco doesn't deliver everything to Cornell. It's like a big shock to us. Like, what do you mean you can't get Costco? Um, we have a Rona, a Walmart, and a Canadian Tire. So, you know, like, learn to live with what you got. And I actually don't think that's such a bad thing, that you can't have what you want whenever you want it. You know, uh, that you've got a limited supply. And the lifestyle is completely different. Uh, oh my goodness, the lifestyle is completely different. We were going someplace, and the sign on the door is, we're closed for the weekend, we've gone away. You know, like, you know, it's all about lifestyle. And so people come to Quinnell for a different lifestyle. Uh, we're saying that there's, to drive anywhere in our city is seven minutes. So anywhere you want to go, seven minutes. Sometimes there's no other cars on the road. And when there's four cars in a row, it's traffic jam. And you get a little frustrated that there's four cars ahead of you, you know, at the stoplight. Uh, so it's completely different. Uh, people are outside all the time, hiking, ATVing, kayaking, stand-up paddle boarding, uh, camping, fishing. Everyone has an RV. Uh, it's all about the quality of life. And so people come to Quinnell from the lower mainland with their families to have a different quality of life. And so for us, it's slower, it's simpler, and it really is better. Like, it is an amazing place to live. Um, yeah, you can't get everything that you might have wanted when you lived back here in Ajax, but it's okay. You learned to live with what you got. Um, so we're, the house is kind of settled. We're, we're in a good place in terms of us um, personally. Almost immediately, we started a prayer meeting. So... Thursday nights was the night that we picked, and we started in prayer. And we started with the book of Acts and started looking chapter to chapter and using that as a basis for prayer for Two Rivers Church because the book of Acts is about the formation and the beginning of the church and it seemed like a good place to start for us as we think about, well, what is this church, Two Rivers, is going to be like. From there, um, wow, we ended up doing a bridge outreach. So there's a walking bridge in Quinnell, and we ended up at the end of the bridge. Now, it wasn't our idea. A woman at the Native Friendship Center had this idea that she wanted to minister to her own people, to the indigenous people. And so she talked to someone from our church who thought of us and invited us to join. So we joined, um, and it was the last Sunday in February. So wintry, it's cold outside. We're there. Where the idea was to hand out hot chocolate and baked goods. And the lady who thought of it with the Native Friendship Center has never actually shown up. We showed up and we did the, we, we got some coffee from Tim Hortons and started handing out baked goods. And after a couple of weeks of doing that, this guy with 
purple hair, which, you know, isn't that often, you see that often in Cornell. Uh, the guy with purple hair is walking by, and he comes up to us after a second or third time, and he goes, I see you guys here every week, and I'd like to donate the coffee to you. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. And he goes, I'm the manager of Starbucks, and I'm going to, we'll have coffee available for you each week, and baked goods. And so, saved me a huge amount of money, 200 bucks a month, uh, trying to do this. And so we get free coffee and baked goods, and we've been handing out uh, the baked goods every week. And we put up a sign that says, need prayer, question mark. If guys, if folks who remember Todd Volker back in about 2012 from California came, and he does this ministry called Need Prayer and had a little sign and, and uh, is out in the public square with this, you know, need prayer sign. So we did the same thing. And praise God, uh, we get people who are driving by and they see the need prayer sign and they stop and come at, to us to get prayer. We get people who are in tears trying to get free from alcohol and drug addictions. We get kids who are praying for their mothers who they've been taken away from the mother because the mother is addicted to drugs and alcohol and they want prayer for their mother um, and they come and ask us for prayer. And so it's been a great opportunity for us to meet people, to know that we're not just there as a social service handing out food and baked goods, but actually we're there as part of a church, serving the community and making ourselves available. And so for sure some people come and ask for prayer, but it also gives us an opportunity to say to people, would you like prayer? Because clearly we're there um, as a church. And so it's given us great opportunities. Um, so we started doing the bridge ministry and we started prayer. And then what happened was that someone who was doing the bridge ministry with us invited people to our Thursday night prayer meeting, which completely caught us off guard. Um, and so we started having, because we're meeting folks that are marginalized, we're meeting the drug addicts, the alcoholics, those are the people that are coming at the end of the bridge and hanging out with us. Um, so we then pivoted Thursday nights to not just a prayer meeting, but to an actual service. And so that's kind of what we're doing these days. We have a Thursday night service, and we're doing the bridge. And what's going to happen when we go back is that we built this relationship with the church. It's just a couple of blocks from this bridge ministry. And we're shifting our Thursday service there, and we're going to do a Sunday service. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll actually have our first Sunday service. It will be in the afternoon. It will be from 3 to 5. So we'll do a bridge ministry, and we'll meet people. And we'll say, hey, we've got church going on at 3 o'clock. Why don't you come over? It's just a few blocks away. And so we're trusting that that's going to take some of the folks that we are just interacting with, that we're meeting, sharing, etc., into uh, them joining us at church. And I guess just to give you a, a picture of some of those times on Thursday night that we... so. We were picking up some people that were staying at the local shelter, and um, because the location we were meeting in the basement of the the church we've been attending, New Life, is a bit off the beaten track. So, um, so we just take people, but they and so they typically be impaired. Um, so it, some of the meetings got kind of interesting, and um, it. And and the thing is, so that's just something that we have to to live with, and um, 
and figure out how to how to do things and um, be really flexible, but at the same time, still not let it be disruptive. So that really has to be uh, led by God, um, and it you know it can be it can be funny at times, um, but then at the same time, when you look at these people are living in um, bondage to their addictions, um, that you know it's actually really sad. But uh, and we're but we're just really glad that they're there to hear the word of God. We're not serving coffee. We're not well. Of course, you couldn't with COVID at first anyway. But even when we started being able to, it's just, we just didn't want anything to kind of a like at kind of bring people in that when they had no interest in seeking God. Um, so we just have, it's like, no, just water guys. <laughs> and, um, but we're, so it's a question of just learning the, how to, how to work with that dynamic and just show a lot of love and patience and still have boundaries like Lawrence will as someone is starting to talk away like Lawrence will just kind of walk over as as he's teaching and just you know put his hand on their their arm and you know it's really it's really sweet but um yeah so it's yeah, so there's, there's one guy, there's one guy, he's drunk, uh, he's coming all the time, he wants to join us, so he comes and he's drunk and he's disruptive and he starts talking to some of the blue, starts talking to somebody, starts talking to them, he's getting up, he's going for a smoke, he's getting some water, whatever, so I'm about to do the sermon, and so I, I moved over and I, he was sitting, and I, I stood beside him and I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I preached the whole thing with my hand on his shoulder. <laughs> and he just kind of sat there and kind of looked at me, and, and actually, it was just hilarious. He actually remembered some of the illustrations. And I, I was gonna say, you know, when we talk about what we think God is doing, you just get these little glimpses of grace that maybe it's making a difference in their lives. Like maybe something's getting through. But yeah, I just said, you know, just said the whole sermon. And the, the team was going, like, we think Jesus was probably doing that too. Just standing there putting his hand on some guy's shoulder as he was, you know, a sermon on the mount or something. And yeah, anyways, it was just great that it just kind of settled him down and just focused him. And he needed that help. Um, so let me just talk about my health because, uh, you know, what's, what this past year has been like. So it has been a difficult year and has yeah, been really a challenging year. Um, it's a lot colder up there than we imagined, and the temperature changes much faster than it does here. Like suddenly, clouds will roll in and the temperature drops three or four degrees. And so here, the trigger was about seven or eight degrees, um, the cold agglutinin disease, I would feel it in my fingers. So I have a baseline amount of, uh, well, my body processes red blood cells. They call that hemolysis. So my body just as a baseline does it. But in cooler temperatures, it then moves to the extremities. So my fingers, my hands, my toes, my face, my ears, etc., nose. Um, and so that turns purple and it's sore. And I feel fatigued. I can feel fatigued after. And I notice a lot more fatigue up north. Um, so it's been a challenge, but and I, you know, we've got electric socks, we've got electric gloves, and and thank you, you know, Prasad sewed in a whole bunch of you know those Canadian Tire packets, and so I've, we had tons of those. 
um, and it was really helpful. And so you can kind of exist for us to get outside and do things. Um, but it was it was a challenging year, and I was quite discouraged at one point. I was in the local grocery store, and I'd been in the meat section, I'd been in the freezer section, I'd been in the dairy section, and my hands were turning purple. It was May. It was 16 degrees outside, and I I was feeling down about it. And I put my gloves on because I have to carry gloves with me, and I'm thinking, man, you know. I look like an idiot. Like I'm wearing gloves in the grocery store and it's 16 degrees in May outside. Like, come on, like what's the matter with you? Uh, and I get to the cash out, you know, the cash register. I still, my hands are still sore. They hadn't warmed up. I get into the car, I turn the heat on full and I'm, you know, putting my hands in front of the uh, heater and finally they warm up. And so I was just really down that week. And then Liz and I were there a couple of days later um, in the deli section and it was kind of cool again and we're getting one of those rotisserie chickens and, and her hands were cold. She also has um, uh, Reynolds uh, syndrome where your hands are cold. Anyway, she says, hold the chicken, it's warm. And I go, I don't want to hold the chicken. And she goes, hold the chicken, it's warm. I, I don't want to hold the stupid chicken, all right? Like, I don't want to hold the chicken. And so she says it maybe a third time and we're standing in front of the clerk. Nice way. We're standing like, in front of the clerk and I go, what is wrong with you? Chicken, it's nice and warm. I said, What is wrong with you? And we proceeded to, yeah, you know, not uh, not have a good time in the grocery store, and we had a big fight afterwards. And um, and so I was telling my my former staff, you know, I was doing a Zoom call with him a couple of days later, and one of my former staff members, a woman, said, Lawrence, next time, just hold the damn chicken. <laughs> And actually, we, asked, we had other people, another JD, JD, who came and spoke at our summer retreat. JD said, that's what we're going to remember for our marriage. Just hold the darn chicken. You know? Wives, you know, just husbands, just hold the darn chicken. Um, so, yeah, I did one treatment of chemo uh, January and February, one, one sequence. Um, it really didn't do anything. So we're gonna do a second, I'm gonna do a second one. Um, it's gonna be two drugs um, starting in November. There'll be like eight doses to a month for four months and just trusting that God's gonna do something with that, um, trusting him for uh, health, etc. But you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't really interfere with our lives. We just kind of deal with it and get on with it. So that's kind of where we're at with my health. What is God doing? Um, so, I mean, I think there were a couple of, I think there's a couple of key things for us. One was that um, in dealing with our, our population, so God has just brought the marginalized, the drug addicts, the gang members, et cetera, into our midst. And so um, two things. One was Jesus left heaven, John, um, I think it's John 16, John 14, Jesus left heaven to enter our world and fulfill the will of the Father. And so it felt like for us, we, um, we were entering the messiness of their lives. Like, and we were willing to do that. You know, sometimes someone says something to you and you can choose, do I want to engage or not? They say, I need something, something's going on, and you can choose at that point, do I want to do something, do I want to intervene, do I not? And that choice was there before us. Guys were saying some stuff, and the question was, were we going to engage? Were we going to intervene? Were we going to step into their world? And the issue is that, you know, after 
decades of bad decisions, sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And now they've gotten into a circumstance where they need help. Now, how do you start to unravel those things and teach them, well, how to make right decisions? And, you know, do you know how to do it? No, I don't either. But we're going to trust God that he's going to show us, that he's going to open up the right ways and the right opportunities and counsel uh, on how to help people. And that they, so that was one thing, that we enter the messiness of their lives. And the second thing is, Jesus left the 99 for the one. We're doing, we're leaving whoever else is around, and we're going to be with the one. So someone who wants help, someone who wants, there's some hint that they want to change their lives. They're interested in being with us. They're coming to church with us or fellowshipping with us or we're doing discipleship material with them. And so we're going to commit to be with them through thick and thin, no matter what goes on. They, they know that someone cares about them and will not turn their back on them, no matter what goes on. And so, you know, we've met gang members and um, alcoholics and drug addicts, guy with guns. Uh, I walked into a room and the guy's injecting crystal meth into his arm. Um, you know, taking, taking money from the government and turning it into thousands of dollars doing drug deals um, and telling me about it. Um, but then on the other hand, sending the money towards their, you know, their child who's, you know, their single dad, single mom and saying it to, you know, that's their college fund. But I'm going, come on, man, you can't live that way. That's not, you know, like he's going to go to prison uh, in November. He's going to get sentenced for, he thought eight years. And I just heard yesterday, it's going to be like three years. So that's good because he wants to go and become a father to his children. But like, if you keep doing that, like you're not going to make it. You're going to get caught. You're going to do something stupid. You're like, you have to change your life. Um, and I, you know, I'd say to him, he's, he's overdosed like three times and had naloxone injected into him twice at a, and at a time to get him to revive him. And it's like, I'm saying to him, you're on extra innings, right? Should have been game over. But you're on extra innings. Like, God is keeping you for a reason. And so we're reading together the purpose-driven life. There's a reason why God has you alive. There's a purpose to your life. Like, understand that. And he's actually, you know, uh, God's grace, where some of these guys, after our service, went, you know, went home and sat in their room and read the Bible for two hours with another guy. And they're probably both on crystal meth or heroin, but they're reading the Bible together. And they want to tell me, that they actually spent a couple of hours reading the Bible last night. And so there's just little signs of grace and change. And it, you know, has there been revivals? No. Are there big salvations? No. Do we have this big building? No. But there are just these few lives that we're sowing into and we're walking with and we're committing to, to be with them. And every opportunity we get, to tell them the good news and tell them that God loves them and demonstrate the, you know, the love of God. And, um, you know, I was just amazed during the worship. Um, you know that song about, you know, the love of God. And um, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, God's grace and love to send us out to Cornell and how he has been with us. But I was thinking about city gates and I was thinking about the people here. And some of you, I don't, we don't even know you. We never had the opportunity to meet. And some, we've spent years together. But just, I, I just felt such love for you guys and such love from you guys. 
and just we're out there and um, don't know what we're doing, um, but trusting God. And, and Paul says in Philippians just that, you know, he's in a jail and he's, he's, he's held and he's chained and it's terrible conditions. But he says, because of your prayers, the church at Philippi and the Holy Spirit, I know I will be delivered. And I just, I felt such comfort knowing that you guys were with us, that you guys pray for us. And that is like the most important thing, the most valuable thing to know that people are with you, but just to know that you're praying. Because God can do amazing things when we don't even know what we're doing. God can get glory, but the fact that you guys are praying for us makes a difference, really makes a difference. Um, as we talked about Acts, um, as we're going through the books of Acts, Acts 16, the Philippi church, um, and I just really felt like our church, Two Rivers, would be a church like the Philippi church, that there would be, you know, a slave girl, um, a wealthy merchant, Lydia, and the jailer. And so we have some rough folks that come around to our church. Um, like I said, we have some gang members and alcoholics and addicts. And who, who knew that if you take too much crystal meth, you actually get schizophrenia? So we have folks that have drug-induced schizophrenia um, in our midst um, that we're pointing, pointing them towards Jesus um, and his love and trusting that he will do amazing things. Um, do you want to share about Alex? <coughs> Yeah, we were, when we were meeting, uh, just doing our Bible studies, uh, going through the book of Acts from last fall, uh, so there was a, a pat, some patterns I started noticing and I jotted them down that um, in terms of the reaction of the apostles and the disciples to, to suffering. Um, so, well, the things that I noticed was that there, you know, all the amazing things that happen in the book of Acts, like all the miracles, all the healings, the deliverances, and so on, um, that they tended to be followed by bad things happening to the apostles and the disciples. Um, like, you know, getting beaten, getting flogged, arrested, stoned by a mob, so on. Um, and it was practically every time. Um, the second thing I noticed is that when those bad things happened, it didn't surprise them. Um, they didn't respond as if something went terribly wrong. Like, what happened? Um, like, we didn't hear God right, or uh, maybe we didn't pray enough. Um, that wasn't their response. Uh, third, they weren't discouraged by the bad stuff happening. They weren't dissuaded, um, and they weren't stopped in what they were doing. Um, they just, they experienced suffering, obviously, um, but the bad stuff, uh, it didn't stop them from their mission, which was sharing the gospel and making disciples. Um, okay, so like, so first the, the good stuff was followed by bad stuff almost every time. Second, they're not surprised by it. Third, they're not discouraged, dissuaded, or stopped. And then fourth, they didn't focus on the bad stuff. 
um, they focused on that the mission. And so, for example, Peter and John get arrested. Uh, they get released. Um, and when they return to their people, um, uh, what do they pray? So they've been arrested. They've been, you know, messed up. And they don't pray for safety. They don't pray for God um, stop the arrest. Like, um, God, give us favor with the authorities and so on. They pray that they'll be able to continue sharing the gospel with boldness. The very thing that got them arrested in the first place. <laughs> Another time the apostles uh, actually like rejoice for being counted worthy of suffering for uh, the sake of Christ. Um, and the word, the word rejoice, I just wanted to look it up. It means like full of good cheer. It means a happy calm. And so, like, and the suffering they had gone through in that case was that they were whipped, um, you know, on bare skin over and over again. They would have been in agony when they were rejoicing. <laughs> um, so what really had occurred to me is that, and it was in, like, a few other things that had come up to me, that suffering is not the enemy, and we think of it as the enemy. We pray for no suffering. And in fact, you look at scripture and it's all over the place. And I kept seeing it in, in Philippians that God has actually ordained suffering. And I know this doesn't sound like the most encouraging message, guys. But the thing is, um, the other thing I had come across was in Philippians. You know the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We think it's like all of it. I can do anything. Like, I'm powerful with Christ. But it's actually that, in, this, in the context of that scripture, um, that Paul is actually uh, referring to um, being content. He is content. He's saying the secret, he knows the secret of contentment. And that's when he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's actually talking about, and he's described all the suffering he's been through. He's actually talking about the fact that he can remain content no matter what he goes through. Not that he is like powerful and, you know, can leap tall buildings and single bounds. We can do anything with Christ. Um, and that, it just made so much more sense because when we read about suffering, then we see, well, okay, so it's actually not so discouraging that God has ordained our, our suffering because we can actually be content and in a place of peace. And the Bible says, like, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So it's like, let, let it, it's our choice. We can actually be in a place of peace in the midst of any suffering. And, you know, I have to say that, um, that, oh, and I just, I just wanted to also just read, like, yeah, just like a couple of verses, like, um, that Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Um, he also said, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So that's like suffering, um, for example. Um, 
Philippians uh, 4, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Uh, and then on top of that, Matthew 16, whoever, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And the cool thing is that that's actually the scripture that um, convinced me to come to Quinell. And it was actually Luke, but it was the same. Jesus said, you know, the same thing in Luke. And when, and in that moment, because I, you know, people that don't know us, I did not want to come to Quinell. And for, you know, it was a couple of years that <laughs> Lawrence was talking about it. And, um, but it was in that, that morning when I read that and I realized that every reason I had for not wanting to move to Quinell was, had to do with me. And it was after reading that. Um, and, and then I, you know, just kind of remembered that, hey, I'd actually totally surrendered my life to Jesus. And I had decided a long time ago I wasn't gonna live for myself, so it just, well, the second that I realized that and I went, I'll go, I had incredible peace. So yes, it meant leaving all our friends and family, um, but I had certainty and peace in that moment. And in the past, like, and my dad was 97 at the time. We would see him every week and you know, that was really hard to leave him. And when we left a year ago, I thought maybe it would be the last time that I would be seeing my dad. And as it turned out, he did die last June. Um, praise God, we had like Skypes every week still. So we were actually spending a lot of time with him um, on Skype, uh, like a few hours every week. Um, so it was just so blessed. Um, we actually had his funeral yesterday. Um, and I, you know, it was, it's not tragic when your dad is 98. And, um, you know, but that's, it was that, all the other stuff that you gave up. But I have had incredible peace and joy and all the fruit of the spirit when we moved to Quinell. Um, like our cousins uh, owned the house that we moved into. They did all this reno and they made it so nice for us. And honestly, the second I was in Quinell, it was home, like right away in my heart. When we surrender to God, <laughs> he will do stuff in our heart. And I, cause I said to God, I don't want to go. You like, if that's your will, change my heart. And how many times have we prayed that? For those of you that have prayed that prayer, like God comes through and he will change our heart according to his will if we let him. So it was just, it's just been amazing. And I honestly, when my sister asked me how I was doing after we'd been there <clears throat> a week or so, and I just went, it's like a dream come true. Like that's what it felt like to me. So you go from not wanting to move, not even wanting to pray about it. And <laughs> it's like, uh, I just didn't want to, you know, I just didn't want to even go there and to 
Um, and then when we settled into this church that um, Vic and Lawrence and I had met the pastor the year before, and he just said, why don't you guys come and hang out with us first, settle with us? And, and so we had this instant community, instant family. They absolutely embraced us. And someone, um, uh, our life group leaders, like we joined a life group, and they, and it was even maybe before we were in our life group, uh, that they just said, we have, a, we have an extra car, take our car. We used it from October to February um, when we finally got our own car. Um, it even had heated seats, which Lawrence really needed. Like, and I didn't mind. <laughs> but I mean, everything. Like, it's just, it comes, um, it's like from every angle, God takes care of us. And even though, you know, I'm talking about suffering and like, but the suffering is in these circumstances. And it's just to remember that Circumstances are never the source of our peace. They are never our source. And they must become irrelevant in our hearts. And they can be. And like we can live like, you know, those apostles who got flogged, got beaten up, um, and then like rejoiced. And then were like full of good cheer. And, and it sounds a little bit flippant, but it was, it really has to do with that happy calm that the word rejoice actually means. It's just knowing you're in the right place, you know, like beyond any earthly, like worldly pleasure, just knowing you're in the right place, having that certainty, that's when that peace and all, like all that stuff, the joy, the gut joy that you know, you can be unhappy or happy, but joy, deep gut joy never changes no matter what. And yeah, so I just um, am pretty amazed at where we're at. So she doesn't grab the microphone often, but when she does, it's worth it. I mean, yeah. Um, so what do we, you know, just a couple of things for the future. Um, we're just knitting together with a church. As I said, there's a church that's really close by to where we're doing the bridge outreach. And so we haven't had a location. We haven't been able to do a Sunday service. But this, and I, I thought about, you know, we have to get equipment. You have to get chairs. You have to, like, all this stuff that we'd have to do to go find a building and set it up, etc. But there is this church that's just a few blocks from where we're currently doing the bridge outreach. And so we build relationally with them. And they love us and we love them. And I preached there a couple of weeks ago, and really, really well. And so I said, can we use your place Thursday nights and possibly Sunday afternoon? I said, absolutely, go ahead, and there's no cost. So, awesome. So we're going to be able to use a sanctuary, a um, couple of blocks from where we're doing the bridge outreach, as I said. And um, just trusting that God's going to knit us together more and more and more. So after I preached, I, there was some indication that they may want me to preach there more regularly. And so that would be interesting. Sunday morning, we go in there and preach. S Sunday afternoon, we do the bridge outreach, and we're back in running our own service for Sunday afternoon. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So that's one thing we're, we're trusting God for, for location, Sunday afternoon. Um, and let's see what he does with that uh, situation. Um, trusting God also for, you know, as we're dealing with these folks with, uh, addictions and and uh, issues. Um, 
people want to get free, they want to go through drug treatment programs, etc. But unless we deal with the underlying trauma that they're, you know, they're using the drugs to medicate the trauma often, unless we deal with that, they're just going to keep going back in a circle, right? And we've got people around us who have been to drug treatment programs for eight times now, you know, and they're going to go one more time. And good for them, you know, good, praise God that they're going to try one more time. But for us, it's like, God, would you show us ministry models around praying and bringing healing into what's the trauma, what's the underlying issue, so that they can really break the chains and get free. And of course, God can do that supernaturally too. We're praying for that, that there'd be just supernatural um, healing that would go on. But we, we would really like God to show us ministry models. Um, as, and we're, you know, we're just, uh, we carry these people in our hearts. And so we really want to see them free. They're not just, not just the guys that we're meeting on the bridge, but they're people that we've really started to knit. God has knit our hearts together, and they're like brothers and sisters. Um, and I'd say the, you know, the third thing that we're really praying for will be, so what, what is you know, this vision for Cornell and our relationship with the churches, and what does God want to do in Cornell? And, I mean, we're praying for revival and transformation and, you know, this, again, Cornell was rated number one in BC as being the worst place to live um, because of the crime rate. The most dangerous. Uh, the most dangerous, sorry. Yeah, not the worst place, but the most dangerous place. Um, so third year in a row by McLean's Magazine. Um, and we're, you know, we're trusting that God's going to do something with us there. We're, we're just, we're available we're just saying to God, we're available. And, you know, he says, um, Jesus said in John, I'm always at work and the Father's always at work too. So we're trusting that he's always at work around us and we just want to be part of that. So that's kind of three things what we're hoping for for the future. Okay. Man, I, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm so encouraged by... Uh, just their stories. And of course, there's so much more to share. I have the privilege of calling them pretty much every week. And once a week, I have a, have a chat. Uh, Liz often in the call as well, and my wife as well. We pray together uh, most of the times. Uh, and I mean, you know, sometimes it's just, yeah, so what is the weekend like? You do these stories. <laughs> yeah, I know this weekend we helped someone move, or this weekend, you know, I taught someone how to cook, you know, a basic meal. Uh, I mean, it's like they, when they say, you know, they really enter into someone else's world. They're not just paying lip service here. These guys are living, they're doing this stuff. Um, and uh, so moved by it. And you know, I want you as City Gators to know that the stories that they share, these are your stories too. This is a notch on our belt. Like, and and, and as, as, as you hear what this couple is accomplishing, just in one year, uh, officially in Cornell, um, we as a church, we want to multiply this, of course, keep sowing into Cornell. We want that uh, third year in a row to be a different, uh, you know, for the third year in a row, it's the best place to live, you know, because of what Jesus is doing in that place through people like Lawrence and Liz. But um, we want to multiply that. We'd love to plant more churches, you know. We, this, is, this is so amazing. This is what, it, you know, I had a conversation with a city gator the other day um, and uh, who had come from a, a larger context. And um, had come to faith, I think, in that context. And that said, you know, with us talking about church planning and seeing this kind of thing happening, uh, it was kind of new to them, actually, saying, like, we thought a church is legitimate when there's a massive building, 
lots of lots of people, you know, smoke, lights, you know, 100 programs, you know, kind of a well-oiled machine. But, but friends, just, just don't start like that. <laughs> At least not when you read the New Testament. This is the stuff. Like, and, and actually, you know, we don't want to set, get so comfortable. I've talked about Costco Christianity, you know. We don't want to, I mean, praise God, there's no Costco. <laughs> I, just think, I think it's a prophetic statement, you know. But, but, but this is, you know, before we become a big box church, we got to keep sending the packages out, okay. And, and, and I trust that you are stirred. Either, you know, these guys, they, you know, they'd be happy to host you for a week, for two, for three months, you know, give it up, go serve alongside them. But, but, but you know, we trust that, that, that their story can be multiplied in other lives. You know, hopefully, there's something happening here. Some of you guys get excited about what can we do as a church, multiplying the love of Jesus this way. Because this will grow. I mean, I remember two years ago driving down the, the one road, seeing this tiny little building. It's almost boarded up. We're like, this is mate, this, You should find out about this. If you ever move here, what is this? Two years later, the guy preached there. And they're all, they're, I'm not saying, hopefully this is on camera, but they're almost giving. They almost feel like they want to give it. There's, there's some new blood coming into a church that's stagnated a little bit. And who knows where this, this will go? We know, you know, I'm not saying, but, but this, is, this is how God works. You, you just throw something out there. God's, God listens. He knows. We're like, this building, you know, should knock on that door. It's become their permanent you know, space, Thursdays and Sundays. And I'm sure it will turn into something else. It just, you're just faithful. They're a faithful couple. Couple. They walk through an open door. They just, that's all they need. They just say yes. God's saying, would you do this? Yes. You know, there's a need. Would you go help them? Yes. And then as they're faithful with little, God entrusts them with more. That's how he works. This church is going to grow because of this couple's faithfulness and sowing in them. Because, of course, ultimately God's faithfulness behind it. So, guys, we love you. And we are so proud of you. Liz. Honestly, listening to you share here this morning, I wanted to do double backflips at the back. There. Like, it is it is just so amazing to see how God has carried you guys. The sacrifices you've made. You know, in terms of your health. Your family. You know, you've... You are radiant. And thank you for coming here and sharing um, what Jesus is doing. And... Uh, we want to pray through a mess. Uh, those three things. Number one was. Well, the relationship with Victory Way. Oh yeah, that church. Okay, where's that gonna go? Number two is the relief ministry. There we go. I think I'm remembering it from here. Yeah. I guess that goes. Yes, and it including, is the First Nation. Including First Nations yeah. trauma, yeah. residential schools. Yeah, um, right. yeah. yeah, that's a big huge, deal. Huge number of the people that we have met that are friends now went to, mm. yeah, to residential yeah. schools. So, And then number three parents. is obviously, you know, what does God want to do? But but God's given them a little bit of an I don't want to pray too much because just keep doing what you're doing. That's what I want to say to you. My, my God's word to you is like, you're doing great. Just keep going, you know. It'll become more and more clear. Um, but I, 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 I want to add a fourth one, and that is for more people around them. For in serving Jesus in this capacity, He gives you the grace, He gives you the energy, He gives you the strength. But He, he doesn't want lone rangers. But can we also, like, like lastly, pray that more people would join them on mission in Cornell and come, come alongside them with the same heart beating for the lost, beating for the broken over there. So um, we're going to split this meeting up into four quadrants, all right? So um, Jill, you're the center line. Wave. All right, guys, that's the center line, okay?
That's the center line that way, and then the line over here. So everybody behind Jill, that quadrant over there, you guys pray for number one, which is this, this partnership with this church. Victory, Victory Way. Victory Way, all right? The back quadrant over there, right? Behind Jill's line and on this side of this line. You pray for uh, a strategy in terms of ministry to the broken, the marginalized, the addicted, just that God would show them how to do that effectively, okay? Front quadrant over here. You pray uh, for the future, like God would lead them clearly, direct them clearly, absolutely, in that, that city. And then you guys, this last quadrant, pray for workers. The harvest is clearly white, ripe, ready to go. But we need people with sickle in hand. All right, pray for them. Let's do that. Let's stand. This is the last thing we're going to do, and then uh, I'll dismiss us afterwards. So let's, uh, let's raise our voices and, and pray for these things together. Um, and I'll be back on the mic when we're done. Two, two minutes or so. Let's go.